We at Hearing Voices like talking to veterans. They tend to be a forthright bunch, willing to share their stories. This hour, Hearing Voices from NPR brings you Vet Vox, the voices of veterans. Some from the StoryCorps project, others from producer Jake Warga. He was embedded in Baghdad with the U.S. Army 3rd Infantry Division. While there, he plugged into soldiers' iPods, asked them what they're listening to and what their lives are like. I'm Specialist Lawrence. Uh, Everybody calls me Laser. I'm from Springfield, Missouri, currently stationed at Fort Riley. The song's called Indestructible. It's from Disturb. Talks about how nothing in life can stop him, that he's going to overcome. Just makes him seem larger than life. Makes me feel like I'm indestructible. It really does. It's like having that extra piece of equipment that the Army didn't issue. It's that self confidence you got to develop on your own. As uh, route clearance, I mean, we go down the route every day trying to find bombs that are going to go boom. It, it's actually combat, and you've got a job to do, and, and it gets you focused. Whenever you get to the point where you know you start getting complacent, then that's when people start getting hurt. Back in 06, it was, it was a lot different war. Uh, you got to show people that soldiers aren't just war fighters, they're peacekeepers, just as much as anything else. We're all fathers, sons, brothers, uncles, and around here, we're all brothers. So we're looking out for our family. What was it like being a chaplain at war in Vietnam? Well, I think chaplains have to have it firmly in mind who they are and what they're all about and that they are there to encourage everybody to keep their faith strong, even though they're in the midst of the most terrible thing that mankind can bring upon themselves. You know, you talk about being with people in their spiritual journey. Well, when that journey is, uh, they've been seriously wounded, and they don't know whether they're going to live or die, and you're there working with them. That's where the challenge is really there. Do you have something worthwhile to say to somebody in their last moments? Many young men would be talking about their mothers. That's the most common experience of all, was that the blood would drain out, and as they would get weaker and go into shock, it's like regressing into childhood almost. It really does things to you to, to be there. And most of those men I had known at Fort Campbell before we ever left, and I knew their families. I knew that this first sergeant had five teenage boys back home and he was shot by a sniper and killed. So those sorts of things really tend to drag you down. But you can't show depression, so you just kind of suck it up. And as long as I kept in mind that I was not there to be a cheerleader, to make the guys want to kill, kill, kill sort of thing, which is something that everybody seems to want, then I was all right. We're in Pir Ahmed Mohammed in the middle of the Saladin district in a little mud hut town. And our LT is currently talking to one of the locals and trying to hook him up with a micro grant to uh, improve his farm. I'm Staff Sergeant Adam Treen. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Currently have a house and a wife and a family in Junction City, Kansas, outside Fort Riley. I was working for the airlines, got furloughed because of 9 11 doing little odd jobs and working in recycling centers and car washes and whatever I could get. It wasn't paying the bills. Nobody deploys their rack going, yeah, I want to go. No, they want to stay home. You get extra money because you're deployed, but I'd rather be home and broke with my family than be here and making extra money. I thought that Send In the Clowns would be an appropriate song for our current deployment.
We're a special troops battalion that's doing things that are meant for active units, not support units. We put the special back in special troops. So send in the clowns kind of fit. Keeps tearing around one can't move. I think they were fine before we came. Where are the clowns? We're, we're trying to rebuild an entire country, an entire infrastructure set up the way it is in the States, and it doesn't work that way here. The way their religion is such a predominant part of everyday life, they need a strong leadership. They're not really geared towards a democratic or republic sort of society. I'm saying they need a dictator. They don't even need a king, but they need someone who's strong enough who can keep them banded together with a single focus. She'll be trying to keep Iran and Syria from moving into the power vacuum when we leave. Don't bother. Wasn't that a 114-millimeter recordless howitzer ball? Yes, it was, Jim. And so far, the Army has stuck to their traditional ground attack. Yeah, they're relying on those big guns on the flanks. Ah, wait a minute, Bob. The Navy is going to the air. A perfect pass, Jim. Ah, there's the shot signaling the end of the first half of this Army-Navy Classic. And so the score at halftime here at Pueblo Field is 32 to 20 with 12 missing. Vietnam, this is the Donbuster. This is Hearing Voices with Vet Vox. We heard Fireshine Theater's Army-Navy classic. StoryCorps brought us former Army chaplain Bob Harley with his daughter Carol. Staff Sergeant Treen and Specialist Lawrence are from Jake Warga's Soldiers Soundtracks. These recordings were made by Claude Joner in Vietnam, released in 1972 as an album called Good Morning, Vietnam. This track is Prayers for Peace. Qu'est-ce qu'ils vont faire quand ils vont rentrer aux États-Unis Moi, je sais pas ce que je ferai. J'espère que je pourrai faire quelque chose. Je pas être un criminel. Je années This man is telling the truth and not a lie. Because I'm not lying. And I don't swear, but I swear to God that all I say for is two years and I need to be out of here. Plus, I love all people, like I said before. En plus, j'aime tout le monde. C'est tout. Ah! 
Hey, come here. Which one? Oh man, don't be jealous. You said come here. Why you said come here? She said, why, why uh, this man get there? Uh, don't mean nothing. She think uh, you were not her. Uh, I'm like 19 years old. I'm impressionable as hell. He kind of took me under his wing for some reason. And he goes, you want to see my pictures? Some of my shots from Vietnam. He was one of these guys who took Vietnamese people, suspected Viet Cong, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, up in helicopters. They'd take two or three, usually. They'd ask a question. Oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, boss. I don't know, Charlie, I don't know, I don't know. They'd throw him out. The other two would have this look. You know, if the second one didn't talk, they'd throw him out. And they would get the information from the third one. Mm. And then he talked about how they would cut ears off of people after they were dead, and they would make necklaces. And he showed me the pictures of soldiers wearing ear necklaces. And then it got worse. Pictures of heads on stakes that they would put like around a village that they had just gone through to scare the bejeebers out of people. And here I am, I'm 19 years old. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm sure for the rest of his life, Sergeant has had nightmares. And he has had a tortured, tortured soul because he was a good man. And it's hard to say, but it's true. The song we listen to every time before we go out is... Uh... And biscuit, just one of those days. It's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up. Everything is, everybody sucks. You don't really know why. It's just a song about one of those bad days, and you just want to break stuff sometimes. <laughs> Everyone has certain rituals they do before they go out. We listen to this song, everyone brings certain stuff. It just gets us pumped up because you can't go outside the wire all tired and stuff. You know, we all sing along with it and just get motivated. So come and get it. Their culture is so different than ours. They always stare at all the females when we're out there and they don't want to touch us when we do things. But then all the Iraqi men always try and take you home with them or they always try to rip off my wedding ring and tell me to go home with them and stuff like that. And they want me to marry them so they can come to the States. I'll probably remember it for the rest of my life, <laughs> hearing that song and just the experiences we had when we went out to the various places. You are hearing voices. That was Specialist Browning. StoryCorps recorded Vietnam vet Michael Crow. Next up, CBS Radio, June 6th, 1944, D-Day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for a special announcement from the Supreme Headquarters of the Allied Expeditionary Forces from London, from Colonel R. Ernest Dupuy. Go ahead, London. Under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. In the navigator's dome in the flight deck of a C-47, I rode across the English Channel with the first group of planes from Troop Carrier Command to take our fighting men into Europe. Just before we left French soil for the return trip to England, I watched from the rear door of our plane, named the Snooty, as 17 American paratroopers, led by Lieutenant Colonel, jumped with their arms, ammunition, and equipment into German-occupied France. All night and from dawn onward, thousands of Allied planes have been softening up a strip of coast. Already, several thousand paratroopers are waiting further inland to join forces with the landing parties. These airborne troops were flown in last night. I could see evidence of the landings in a number of parachutes lying in the little fields. Well, now we're up here on the the deck on the main deck of the LST, which is crowded and packed with vehicles of every sort. The trucks are full. Just reading uh, the names on the boxes of some of them, here's one that says cartridges, and another one says hand grenades, and there are all the bags and bedrolls in which these men are going to sleep. The following announcement is brought to you by the makers of Lipton Soup. Folks, in this, the crisis of the war, all of us want to back our boys in the attack. Here's one way of doing it. 
support the Fifth War Loan and buy more bonds than before. Put across the Fifth War Loan. When you buy bonds, buy double. At this time, Columbia brings you a broadcast by the United States Navy Band. We will interrupt this program to bring you any late news developments. Ninth Air Force Troop Carrier Base, England. American Indians in full war paint, dropping silently from the skies to strike with the deadly stealth of their ancestors, were among the first paratroop units to go into action. They were members of an engineer's demolition unit, the Braves. They wore red and black war paint and had their heads shaved except for scalp lock. One of the eight women members of Congress, Mrs. Rogers, what do you think will be the reaction of American women to the news of the invasion? Well, the women of America have always been brave. They will be brave about this grim and terrible invasion. The mothers and wives and sweethearts who are giving their sons and their relatives and men, they hold dearer than their own life. Tonight we were told the names of some of the American ships participating in the bombardment. The Augusta is there, so is the Tuscaloosa. Likewise, the Nevada. The Japanese tried to sink her at Pearl Harbor. Both houses of Congress opened with an attitude of prayerful solemnity and functioned in that atmosphere today. The House, however, continued its demands for prompt investigation of Pearl Harbor, and finally, after a red-hot session, passed a resolution calling for the commencement of the Pearl Harbor court-martials by September 7th of this year. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, for June the 6th and the 31st chapter in the 1944 series of our passing parade. The time is exactly 100 years from today. The scene is a schoolroom on a beautiful day in June, June the 6th, 2044. And you and I are long since in our graves. The furniture around us in our living rooms at this moment has been lost or become expensive antiques in the art stores. And those newspapers with their huge headlines that are now lying near the radio set will have become yellow, brittle documents preserved in the great museums of this day, 100 years from now. This is George Hicks speaking. I'm speaking now from the tower above the signal bridge of an American naval flagship, and we're lying some few miles off the coast of France where the invasion of Europe has begun. And then I suppose that those descendants of ours, those children who are yet to be born, will busily take down some notes in their loose-leaf folders. And they'll watch the films which at this moment have not yet been developed from the negative, and yet which were taken by the way of every phase of the landings this morning. And they will listen to excerpts from the broadcast that we have been listening to today. And puffs of smoke are standing up now like plumes. A fire has been started on the beachfront directly before us, and now batteries are firing from the beach, flashes of yellow, and the broadsides of the battleship are pouring it back at them. Overhead, high, planes are roaring, perhaps can hear the roaring of their motors, 36, 38 planes. A hundred years from today, it will have become one more date in the history lesson like 1492 and 1066 and 1914 were to us. And the moment the story of this day of days has ended, those kids will dash out into the playing field and they'll start having fun. That's quite all right, isn't it? It's for them that the landing barges crossed the channel this morning. It is for them that our young men offered their lives because the children of a hundred years from now will be free. brought you this special Navy band program from the sail loft of the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? I'm James Lockridge. Caught in a landslide. It's new to me. I've, this is my first iPod that I've ever owned, but I've downloaded a few songs over the past few days. Open your eyes. Got the Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. What I really love about this thing is the podcast. So I've got a bunch of programs from NPR, two Talk of the Nations, the 7 a.m. news, Car Talk, which I'm still working through, and uh, the last two, This American Lives.
it's so different than the last two rotations, but yet you're still in Iraq, and it's over so many years. It just seems like it's it's more of a story now than a song. The United States Army can go anywhere at any time at any place you know and face anybody and I learned that during the first war and with overwhelming firepower I would never want to be anybody that had to face the United States After OIF-1, I mean, everybody really thought the war was over. I didn't foresee this insurgent campaign coming on, but now we're back. But I, again, I, I, think we're, I think I'm done again. I mean, they got it. Could we stay here another 20 years or more? Absolutely. Do you have violence? Absolutely. Do you, uh, you have corruption? Absolutely. Can the Iraqis do it on their own? Yes. That's really my prognosis for here. It's, it's time to wrap this thing up, get the elections done, and you know, head on home and let the Iraqis do it. And they want to do it. Major Lockridge, recorded by Jake Warga in Iraq. More StoryCorps veterans and more soldiers' soundtracks coming up in a minute on Vet Vox from Hearing Voices. Hearing Voices is supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people and the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. From NPR, this is HearingVoices.com. This is Hearing Voices Inside a Black Hawk Helicopter, recorded by Jake Warga in Baghdad. Lots of soldiers there had iPods, so Jake asked them what they were listening to, or in this case, singing. All right, here's a song by uh, Douglas Miller. Uh, says, There is a name I love to hear. I'm Staff Sergeant Ike Richardson, uh, HAC 41 BSTB Food Service Sergeant, um, originally from Ufala, Alabama. It soothes my doubts, yes it does, and it calms all my fear. They've been in the Army some 18 years. There's no way. I'm a traditional guy I, from the South, I so I like traditional gospel music. Because I know, no, 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 he's been good to me. Grew up singing. I was about at the age of eight years old. I was the lead singer for a quartet group. There is a name I love to hear. Uh, this is my third deployment. Jesus, how I love your name. Biblical traditions and things that we read about happen right here in this country. Cause every day, every day, we're not too far from where Daniel was in the lion den. You're the same, Jesus. Oh, yes, sir. A lot of guys, the extremists on the other side want to say that's a holy war and stuff like that. I wouldn't say that. I think that we're in spiritual warfare all the time. I know you died. You died on the cross just to save. Most religions 
are the same. They teach about love. They teach about peace. And those are the basis of the religion. So uh, the extremists are totally opposite to that. Mine, my mind, yours and mine, my soul. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Raindrops by Alex K. I love techno. Anything with a beat, just get your heart pumping and you're ready to go for anything. I'm Specialist Kriegshauser, Warhouse. Soldiers love their music. I'm sure nine out of ten soldiers have an iPod or have some way of listening to music. You come off a really long day and it'll calm you down and you can, you can sleep that night. Music is a great de-stressor as well as a great motivator. I think the country will definitely survive. They're a thriving, caring, generous people. The stigma that America gives to them is unjust and unfair in most instances. We went down there in uh, Pullman. I got my knapsack and got to Washington, D.C. And when I got to Washington, D.C., they had a, some stairs to go down to separate uh, trains going south and trains going north. Mm-hmm. As I went down and I passed by the train, the porter said, Hey, boy, come on back here. Where are you going? I said, I'm going to get on the train. He said, No, this is your coach, the first coach in back of the engine, Angie. You've seen these third world trains. Mm-hmm. Were they packed in there? Packed mm-hmm. in. And they had their bundles and things. And the train started up and pulled out, and it went under this tunnel. And all that soot and all the coal just filled that car. Can you imagine? Now, I'm going to fight for democracy, and these people got me in this coach. What was your strongest memory, particularly as a black Marine? And I had an opportunity to see the enemy face to face. I had 10 prisons of war, and they bring them out of the stockade. That's when I met Kanazi Oa. Kanazi Oa was a school teacher, and he was the one who could speak English the best. And he said, I don't know when I'm going home. I don't know where my family is. And I identified with him because he was a brown man doing things that he wouldn't have done ordinarily, see. And so all of our officers were white. My gunnery sergeant took me off that unit and he said, I'm taking you off this unit because you didn't talk to them. Said one of them killed my brothers, you know. And I was thinking, I said, well, how many times have white people took come to black people and hung me out? And this Japanese never hung a black man. To see that enemy as a human being, that was the one changing experience for me. This is from the 1972 album, Good Morning, Vietnam. World War II veteran Leon May and his daughter Angela came to us from StoryCorps. Staff Sergeant Richardson and Specialist Kriegshauser are from Soldier Soundtracks by Jake Wargo.
Left. One, two, one, three, one, three, one, three, one, three. Left. One, zero, one, two, one, four, one, five, one, four. This is Hearing Voices. Ed Kiyahara was in the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, which was all Japanese and the most decorated unit in United States history. Before that, though, he and his family had been forced to live in an internment camp near Puyallup, Washington. Mr. Kiyahara told this story to his nephew, producer John Watanabe. We uh, had a typical army barracks. Oh, 20 by 20 for a family of five. There were no playgrounds or any area that you could play uh, any sports in, but it was just crammed in there and with hundreds of families in one area. It was very difficult for everybody, especially my mother, who raised us in our farmhouse and then had to leave everything. Every day there is a truck come by and pick up 55-gallon barrels full of garbage. They took it up on a hill above Sumner, and they dumped it, and uh, they had uh, oh, three or four fellas on the flatbed truck. One day I, I thought, gosh, they're going right by my hometown. Maybe I can sneak a ride and go into Sumner. So one day I asked the black truck driver, she said, hey, how about drop me off in Sumner and pick me up on the way back and, and so I can uh, visit some of my friends and get away from here. Took me a couple of days to talk him into it. I didn't pay him or a darn thing because I didn't have any money to pay him. So I talked to him and he finally agreed. He felt sorry for us. Being a black man and being in camp, uh, he he knew the discriminations, and he had a rough time himself. So he said, oh, well, I'll take a chance. So every now and then I would uh, get on the garbage truck, sit in the back with the garbage, and we'd get into Sumner Main Street. He'd slow down, and I'd jump off and go to my friend's ice cream shop and have a sundae or banana split or something. And my folks were a little unhappy doing that because they knew it was illegal. But as a young boy, why, I loved to take chances. It didn't bother me if I got caught or not. Well, it took about a half an hour for the truck to go up to Sumner and dump the garbage and come back. So I had to make sure that I was at that right corner so I could get on that truck and go back to Puyallup. One day I jumped off the uh, truck and I was walking down the street and the police caught me and they said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going over and get an ice cream cone. He says, well, go to the ice cream parlor and stay there. Don't walk around town because it make me look bad. You're not supposed to be here. I said, okay. I spent most of my time in an ice cream shop. Didn't have any money. So the owner said, you don't need, never need money. It's very hard for me <laughs> to tell you that story because there's a lot of kind people back in my hometown that I'll never forget. Sergeant Crystal Halbert from Manhattan, Kansas, um, 26 years old. Another summer day has come and gone away in Paris and Rome, but I want to go home. Home by Blake Shelton. I can relate to it because uh, it talks about um, being surrounded by so many people, but you just want to go home because you still feel all alone. Feel all alone. I want to go home. 
Home is sitting at my mom's, waiting for her to finish cooking dinner. All family's starting to come over. My kids are running around. I joined in, uh, in 2001. Last time I was here was 07 to 08. Let me go home. I have had my run. Baby, I'm done. I'm coming back home. Things here are a lot different. Um, it's gotten a lot quieter, a little bit more of a peaceful place to be. It'll all be alright. I'll be home tonight. I'm coming back home. On Halloween night, 1950. Tiger took over. We nicknamed him the Tiger because he was so mean. The first thing he did was we had 16 men from their wounds and everything. They couldn't walk, and uh, him and his buddy machine gunned every one of them. We knew then we was in trouble. He shot a man a mile on the march, and second day out we asked him to slow the pace down, and uh, you know what he said to us? Let them march till they die. He wasn't going to give us any water. That's why he was going to kill all of us. But it started snowing the second day out, and we ate the snow off the guy next to us. That's the way we got our water. We got up to prisoner war camp 12 miles from the Siberian border. I had been in there a little over 38 months. We hadn't shaved, cut her hair, brushed her teeth, take a bath or nothing. And I had two holes in my left leg. Wasn't healing up, no medical care. They stayed open wounds for 26 months. I finally poured boiling water in them, and they healed up after that. I weighed 77 pounds when I came home. That's pretty thin on a six foot three frame, you know. <laughs> that's that's the, about the only way we can get by now. I just joke about it. And a lot of the youngsters died since we come home. Because they couldn't turn it loose, they wouldn't. They just dwelled on it all the time, you know. And I either make a joke about it, don't don't worry me none. I just let it go. Korean War veteran Wayman Simpson, recorded by StoryCorps. Hearing Voices with That Vox. From Iraq, here's another soldier's soundtrack. Private First Class Michael Delary, 22. 1st Infantry Division, Fort Riley, Kansas. I, I listen to pretty much anything that's heavy metal, but this is one of the biggest songs I listen to when I'm out there. By a group called Hollywood Undead, the song's called Undead. Gets me pumped. I'll always remember my buddy who got killed, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that, I think about it still all the time, you know, just how young he was. You know, he had kids and stuff like that, and you never think someone you know until it happens. You know, people say you get over, but I mean, I don't think you get over having a friend get killed for trying to better another country. I don't think you ever get over that. It'll probably, every time I listen to it, I'll probably go into like a PTSD shock or something like that. Yeah, I'll probably go into like a little epileptic seizure of Iraq. Freak and out. My wife will have to probably call like the mental health on me or something. Like that. Send me away for a couple of days. <laughs> I was at a recruiting event, and I had my cell phone. I put it in the little Marine Corps Hummer that we had. And one of the other recruiters, a staff sergeant, went through my cell phone 
and saw some of the text messages that I had to my boyfriend. The atmosphere at the office just changed from that point on. So I wrote a letter to my commanding officer saying, you know, I'm, I'm gay. And the sergeant major basically said, you're not gay, it's a phase, you need to go through counseling. They sent me home, I couldn't show up for work for my safety, which I wasn't really concerned with because I can handle my own. But when you want to do something that badly and you've put five years of blood, sweat, and tears into it, and then all of a sudden it's not really an option for you anymore. It's a hard thing to take. Uh, on my discharge paperwork, it says RE4, and that means that I'm never, ever allowed to be in the military again, which sucks. I mean, if I could go back, I would. How has your family responded? Well, my family didn't find out I was gay until after I was discharged. I kept playing this role as if I was still in the Marine Corps. My dad and my stepmother decided that something was wrong, so they decided to take a trip out here. At the time, I had a boyfriend, and I was like, well, if I'm going to come out, I guess now's as good as time as any to do it. I said, I got out of the Marine Corps because I was gay. And my dad said, uh, yeah? That's his answer to everything. I'm like, Dad, it's raining outside. Oh, uh, yeah? So it was assuring. I was happy about that. And my life changed dramatically when I got out. I'm able to hang out with my boyfriend and hold hands walking down the street. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm very disappointed that I can't serve, but my feelings toward the military really didn't change. It's just being equal is something that I think everyone deserves. And... Obviously, we have a long way to go. Specialist Bowers, and I'm from Pennsylvania, and I am 20 years old. This song is basically the story of my life and half our companies. Tearing down a dirt road, rebel flag flying, coon dog in the back. It's Red Atkins. Truck bed loaded down with beer and a cold one in my It's lap. called Kiss My Country Ass. Heart sticker behind my head and my woman by my Half our company is split up in between the West Virginia Country Boys and then Pittsburgh City Kids. Well, if you got a problem with that, you can kiss my country this song basically describes the countryside of everyone. Everyone who likes to hunt and drink beer and <laughs> drive big trucks and go mudding and stuff. I listen to this song every day. You know, if I'm in a bad mood, I just put this song on. It's definitely the soundtrack for this deployment. There's a specific part in the song that says, I'm not scared to grab my gun and fight for my homeland. The Army standard is supposed to be that females are soldiers too, but you know, a lot of times we still get treated as females. You know, we're treated differently. It's total culture shock here. Iraqi culture and American culture are two totally different things. We don't get to see a lot of females or work with them or anything unless they're children. I'm blonde and I have blue eyes, so the Iraqis love that, and I will get mauled if I step outside the vehicle. Like, my platoon sergeant had to, like, pull them off of me so we could leave because they wouldn't let me go. So, I like to stay in the vehicle a lot. <laughs> I said if you got a problem with any of that, you can kiss my natural born red
underway. Honestly, it's whenever I can catch him in is when I'm listening to music. Carry my iPod everywhere. iPod and headphones everywhere. This song is called Sleepy Head by Passion Pit. I like music that is free-spirited, not so much like hard on the heart. And I really feel like the song, even though I'm not sure what he's talking about, just the beat and his voice and um, just everything about it makes me feel free, and I like listening to that. I'm Petty Officer Third Class, Heather Rowe. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm 20 years old. in high school I decided that I actually didn't want to go to college right away and I didn't want to be in debt because of college so um, and I definitely want to see the world I like being independent so I thought what a better way to do all of that than join the Navy so here I am being on a ship is definitely a different experience than anything I expected but I see the benefits every day my first foreign country was Haiti and that was you know that was interesting to see Brazil, which was just awesome. It was cool to see. You know, it's just cool to see different countries. I'm 20 years old. Not many people get to do that. And then Peru was even better. I like being independent and exploring. I'd just be sitting in Ohio doing nothing, going to college in debt. So <laughs> I'd much rather be in the Navy. <laughs> Find a white that shall a blackness fit. A soldier's a man, a life but a span. A while that a soldier drank, a left the mannequin clean. Whoa, let me the mannequin clean. Let me the mannequin clean, clean. And then I let a soldier drink. There's none so fast and foolish too. But does foul pranks as white ones do. Soldier's a man, a life but a span. Why let a soldier drink? Let me the mannequin clean. Let me the mannequin clean. Let a soldier drink. That's Jerry Lee Lewis doing Shakespeare. From the musical Catch My Stole, based on Othello. Former Marine Sergeant Kendall Bailey is now an honored member of StoryCorps. PFC Michael Delary and Specialist Bowers are part of Soldier's Soundtrack. And Petty Officer Rowe was recorded on the aircraft carrier USS Carl Vinson while sailing to provide humanitarian aid in Haiti. The wine, the wine, ho! Oh, God, this is a more exquisite song than the other! <laughs> oh, well, would you hear it again? No! For I hold him to be unworthy of this place that does those things. Well, God's above all, and there be souls must be saved, and there be souls must not be saved. Mm, it's true, good lieutenant. For mine own part, no offense to the general, nor any man of quality, I hope to be saved. Ah, so do I, too, good lieutenant. Aye, but by your leave, not before me. The lieutenant is to be saved before the ensign. <laughs> let's have no more of this, let's look to our affairs. God forgive us our sins. Gentlemen, let's look to our business. Do not think I'm drunk? <laughs> This is my ensign, this is my right hand, and, then, and this is my left hand. <laughs> I'm drunk. I can stand well enough and I can speak well enough. Oh, ex excellent work. Excellent work. Very well, then you must not think that I am drunk. Ready? Tell me when you're ready. Okay, go for it. Merry Christmas, mother. That's Jake Warga talking to a soldier dressed as Santa, Love that smell. armed 
and guarding his unit's Christmas presents. Do not open until Christmas Day. Seriously. I mean, this is the Christmas spirit, right? Yeah, well, bandolier shotgun, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what kind of shotgun is this? Oh, that's a Mossberg. I got one of these at home. Really? Yeah. And North Pole, of course. <laughs> Jake's also an accomplished photographer. I have your address. Make sure I don't come knocking too late at night. <laughs> his Iraq soldiers' portraits are at his site, jakewarger.com, and at our site, with links to everything you heard this hour, at hearingvoices.com. Hearing Voices is supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people and the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. Our producers are Scott Carrier, Ann Hepperman, Larry Massett, and Kara Oler. Our intern is Max Darham. Mix engineer is Robin Wise of soundimagery.com. Executive producer is Barrett Golding. From NPR, National Public Radio, this is hearingvoices.com.